Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Nehemiah verses 1 to 4. Nehemiah verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and moaned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Church, can I invite you to stand? We leave the gospel reading for this evening. Gospel reading can be found on the second chapter according to the gospel of St. John, verse 13. Glory to Christ our Savior. John's Gospel, chapter 2, reading from verses 13 to verse 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. Money just sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? Father, your word says that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of souls and spirit of joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So Father, we pray for your spirit, your work to work in our hearts, your Holy Spirit to come and challenge us and speak to us as we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, will you please be seated? <coughs> well, as we enter into the second half of the year, the book of the Bible and the Old Testament which we will be exploring for our sermon series is that of Nehemiah. And as we look into the life of this man, we can draw some fundamental leadership principles in equipping ourselves to be leaders of the church. After all, this is our theme for the year that we want to all to be equipped. And what better way to be equipped as leaders within the church? And so with that, can I quickly ask you to just refer with me back again to the passage that was read by Charlotte to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to look at this first four verses. 
And as we look into the passage, you find that our story begins where it was mentioned that Nehemiah was in Susa, the capital. Now, the question for us is this, how did he end up there and what was he doing? Well, to answer this, it's pertinent that we understand the context of the time. And this really requires us a brief look into the history of, his, of Israel. You see, in the ancient times, there were three big superpowers or empires. The first two being the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, when Jerusalem was ransacked by the might of the Babylonians in the year 587 BC, many potential and influential Jews were deported from their homeland. Meaning to say, many Jews were now forced to live in exile in a foreign land. And the intention for this deportation is very simple. There's three reasons for this. Firstly, it is to dilute the identity and the culture of this, cult, of this conquered people so as to desensitize them. So meaning to say, it is kind of to take away who they are as a nation. You know, very much like the Jews when they were in, the, when they were in Exodus in, in, in Egypt, you know, they forgot because of the influence of the Egyptian because of what the Egyptians forced them to believe, they totally forgot themselves to be called the children of God. And here's a warning for us, that if we're not careful, if we don't set ourselves aside, if we allow ourselves to, to, to fall into the world teachings, the world ideologies, this is exactly what will happen to us. Our identity as Christians will be diluted and we will begin to be so desensitized and we began to follow the world's view. A second reason for this deportation is very simple. It is simply for the conquered person to keep a close watch over them. Why? So that they will minimize any potential rebellion or trouble that might appear later on. And as for the third reason, it is simply to recruit the best from among them for service in the king's court. And Daniel and Nehemiah are just two prime examples of Jews who were exiled for this very purpose. Then we are told as history continues that in 539 BC, along came this king, King Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, and he conquered Babylon. And after he conquered Babylon, in some enlightened policy, he decided to allow 50,000 Jews to return home to Jerusalem. Now, taking this opportunity, the prophets Hagar and Zechariah, they encouraged this first returnee to strive to rebuild the temple. But years passed before another group, this time led by the leadership and guidance of Ezra, the prescribe who arrived in Jerusalem. But it will be another 13 long years, later in the year in 445 BC, that the walls and the gates of Jerusalem will be finally restored. And so this leads us to the introduction to this man, Nehemiah. And so we come to verse 1, and we find that the fact that Nehemiah was in this place called Susa, the capital, simply informs us that the Assyrian and the Babylonians have long been engulfed by a new superpower. Why? Because this place, Susa, happens to be the winter capital of the mighty Persian Empire. And that's the reason why Nehemiah ended up here in Persia. He was one of the many Jewish 
exiles. And if you look further down in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, in fact, to verse 11, you find that the text informed us that he was also there simply because he was serving as a cupbearer for the king, King Artaxerxes. Now, it's important again to understand the role of a cupbearer. A cupbearer is more than a modern-day butler. It was a position of great responsibility and privilege as well as of great risk. Why? Simply because, you see, there's more than one way to assassinate the king. Of course, the sword at the time being the most common mean. But another method which people tend to use if they want to assassinate the king is through the use of poison. As such, before every meal is consumed, the king's food and his wine had to be tasted first to ensure that it wasn't poison. And this was Nehemiah's responsibility as Artaxerxes' cupbearer. And it was here in this very place that verse 2 records for us that as he was going about in his duties in the king's palace, when his brother Hanani came bearing grim news about Jerusalem. Now, according to George Bernard Shaw, he claimed this, that the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. And then he concluded, that's the essence of inhumanity. Now, this quote by the Irish playwright and critic certainly summarizes all those who tend to fold their arms in the midst of a crisis and choose not to do anything. But you'll find that for this man, Nehemiah, he doesn't fit into this description. In fact, you'll find based on the passage today, he was the complete opposite. He was a man who cared he was a leader who showed concern. He cared and showed concern about the needs of the present. He cared and showed concern about the hope for the future. And certainly, he cared and showed concern for the glory of his God. And church, I don't want you to miss this point. You see, before Nehemiah became a leader, Nehemiah was just like any one of you seated here in this church. He was a mere lay person. In fact, we are told that the Bible in verse 1 introduced him as the son of Hakalia. And we don't even know who is this man, Hakalia. The Bible just introduced him as a lay person, an ordinary man with a full-time job. But yet, at that point in time, as he was serving as a lay person, something struck him. Something caused him to be a leader, so much so that he, be, he cared and he concerned for the people, and it showed in three different ways as revealed in these four verses for today. So in what way did Nehemiah show care and concern? Firstly, Nehemiah cared enough to ask. See, the subject of conversation between him and his brother revealed the heart and the priorities of this man. Notice here that Nehemiah did not waste time, you know, on inconsequential things. You know, when his brother came, he didn't ask his brother, you know, how, Hanani, how was your journey? You know, did you come across any interesting things to see? No. 
All these things was not important. He went straight to the point, to the most urgent and important concerns. Verse 2, he says, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, you see, from this verse, we can confirm that there were two things that Nehemiah inquired from his brother. And the first was this. He was concerned for the Jews. Now, why bother to ask about a struggling remnant of people who live a hundred miles away? After all, when you think about it, you know, Nehemiah was comfortable. He was secured where he was as his life as a cupbearer. So why bother about a few Jews who live so far away? See, the point here is this. When one has settled into a respectable job, it is so easy to adopt this mindset that we can become so self-centered and self-satisfying, and as a result, we don't bother about anything or anyone. And this is certainly true for many of us in the Christian life. We can be so comfortable living as a Christian that we tend to, be, we tend to lose what it means to be called the children of God. We start to be lax in our attitude. We begin to not read our Bible regularly. We certainly decide maybe, you know, today we don't feel like coming to church. And the warning here is for us that we can be so comfortable that we can end up like this. But you notice here that for Nehemiah, he wasn't like that. For Nehemiah, we find that all his days serving the Persian king in a beautiful palace surrounded by, by, by good food to eat, it did not dull his sense of concern regarding the plight of his people. He heard that his fellow Jews were in great trouble and shame, and it burdened him. You see, when we truly care about people, when we truly care about the things of God, we want the facts no matter how painful they may appear to be. So firstly, Nehemiah was concerned over the Jews. Secondly, we are told that he was also concerned regarding Jerusalem. And the reason why Nehemiah was so concerned about the city was because if you are like any other Jew, you find that Jerusalem represents God's city. Jerusalem is we of God. We find that from the report of Hanani, Nehemiah learned of this bad state of the city, which can be summarized in three words, remnant, ruin, and reproach. We find that instead of a land inhabited by a great nation, only a handful of remnant Jews resided there. Instead of Jerusalem being a magnificent city, what we have is Jerusalem in shambles. And where there was once been a great glory, what is left now is nothing but great reproach. That the walls of Jerusalem is broken and its gates are destroyed is certainly of great significance for any Jews. You see, the glory of a city in ancient times included strong walls and sturdy gates. The walls must be thick and fortified so as to offer protection as well as to display strength and might. 
And this would send a message to potential invaders of thinking twice before invading the city. Gates, on the other hand, control who gets in and who gets out. So you see, broken walls and burned gates do not provide the people of Jerusalem any comfort or protection and safety. Worse than this was the plight of Jerusalem brought about a mockery to the Israelites. The Jews pride themselves that they were a chosen race and God's glory and presence is with them. But where is the glory of Jerusalem, the city and the temple of God when it lies in great ruin? That he inquired of his brother about the Jews and about Jerusalem reveals to us that Nehemiah was one who was, had a caring and a concerned heart. As we move on now to verse 4, Observe that as soon as Nehemiah heard that the report concerning the people in Jerusalem, it is written here that he immediately sat down, he wept, he moaned, he fasted, and he prayed. I mean, think about this. You know, when he heard the good news, Nehemiah could perhaps be like many of us here. You know, we, we, we want to be the gung-ho person. We want to be the saviour. We want to spring into action and thinking that, yeah, I could single-handedly solve this problem. But no, Nehemiah didn't do this. We're told that the moment his brother shared with him the sad news, Nehemiah instead chose to be still. He chose to connect himself with God by weeping and moaning. Why? Because his heart was deeply broken by the heartbreaking news that he received. Now, perhaps for some of us, weeping may be seen as a sign of weakness. But for this man, he recognized that weeping is a sign of strength. Why? Because in his weeping, he was weeping in the presence of the Almighty God. In his weeping, he was surrendering. He was crying out to his God for help. And as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 30 verse 5, that when we weep, Psalm 30 verse 5 says that weeping may tarry for the night, but after we weep, joy comes with the morning. And so we find that it is for his love, for his God, and for his people that caused this man to weep before God. Now, another significant point that I want you to note, that Nehemiah didn't just weep and moan or fasted and pray for an hour or so. Nehemiah didn't weep, pray, fasted and moan for a day or two. In fact, if you look at verse 4, it says here that it was recorded that he did it for days. Now, although it didn't specifically state how long these days are, Nevertheless, we can get a sense from the passage that it was a very, very, very long time. In fact, I can tell you that he fasted, he prayed, he moaned for five long months. How do I know? Well, if you look to verse 1 of chapter 1, we are informed that the whole, when this whole episode happened, it happened in the month of Chislev. And Chislev in the Hebrew calendar is between the month of November and December. 
And then when you fast forward to the time when Nehemiah made his move, we are told in chapter 2, verse 1, that this occurred in the month of Nisan. And Nisan, in our calendar year, is around the month of March, April. So we can conclude that Nehemiah, the concerned and caring leader, when he received the news from his brother about the plight of Jerusalem, when he went to pray, he didn't pray for one day, two days, one week or so. He prayed for five long months until God prompted him to make the move. His concern and care for his people and God led him to this time of humility and repentance. Nehemiah was truly a man of prayer. And finally, we find that Nehemiah cared and showed concern enough in his attitude where he volunteered to do something about the shame of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to remember that God's will to be accomplished on this earth requires us as people to be first ready and available for Him to use. And the Lord will only start with those whose heart is broken and the one who is doing the praying. And as you will notice next week in Nehemiah's prayer, he didn't ask God to send someone else for the task. Neither did he argue with God like Moses did, you know, that, oh, I'm not, I, I cannot be the person, I'm not equipped, I, I'm not, I, I'm not uh, qualified. He didn't do this. Certainly, you know that the task of rebuilding the walls was a massive project that requires certain skill or knowledge. It's just like asking you to go and build a house. If you are not like Eric who has the, 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 the skill and the knowledge to be an architect, you won't know how to build a house. But yet, we find that this man, when he heard of the concern of Jerusalem, when he went into prayer, and when God spoke to him, his prayer and his concern caused him to volunteer to do something. And to rebuild the wall, as I said, takes great skill. And yet, bear in mind, what was the role of Nehemiah? He was only a cupbearer. He was only a cupbearer, but yet he was willing. He was willing to volunteer, to seek the king's permission to rebuild the city wall. Nehemiah was a leader who not only cared, but he was willing to be used by God to move in averting a negative situation. My question for each and every one of us sitting here is this. What of us? What of us? Are we willing to volunteer of our service when we look in the church and see the concerns of the church? Where there's a lack of worship leaders, where there's a lack of musicians and you can play a musical instrument, when Lindsay needs teachers in the children's ministry, where we need helpers to do devotion in our KD Up ministry, Alpha is coming up. We need people to play your role. When you see things that's happening in the church, do we volunteer ourselves? Will you answer when the church calls? That's my challenge for each and every one of us. 
because you find that Nehemiah was caring, he was concerned for the people of God, he was concerned for the things of God, and that caused him to volunteer to do something. And so as we conclude, I want to ask to just ponder and consider over these three thoughts as we take home these three things. Number one, are we people like Nehemiah, genuinely concerned for God's people? You see, a spiritual leader is particularly interested in matters related to the people of God. And as a church, are you and I concerned with those around us? And I'm not referring to your inner circle. I'm not referring to your cell group people or maybe even your own family members. But I'm asking you, are you concerned for those outside that fear? Are you aware of what's happening in the life and the struggles of the people that you're seated to today, the struggles that they're going through, the burdens that they're bearing? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Now, to be sure, being concerned is not being capo, huh? all right? I'm not asking you to be capo about people's life, but asking you to be genuinely loving one another and desiring to want to help those in great need. It is like Nehemiah who took the initiative to find out the condition of the Jews back in Jerusalem, and he didn't just stop there. He displayed this concern by praying for them. Or maybe we don't do this. Why because we are too complacent. We are too comfortable that we fail to see the plight of others around us. We are too comfortable, we are too complacent because our concern is only on ourselves, our career, our families. Other things doesn't matter. But as a body of Christ, let us open our eyes to see and to start being genuinely concerned for those in our community here in All Saints Church. Two, are we genuinely concerned for the things of God? Nehemiah was concerned for the Jews. He was also concerned for Jerusalem. So what is our response when the glory of God is shamed? Seriously ask yourself this question. <coughs> what will you do when someone that you know, your friend, blasphemed God's name, or they misuse God's name in their conversation. If you don't know what I mean, you probably may have friends who utter the words, you know, if they talk to you, they mention Jesus Christ, or they mention holy something. What will you do? Do you take it as, ah, it's okay, it's just a joke, there's nothing wrong. God will forgive us. How lax is our attitude towards this thing? Do we dare to stand up against these people who blaspheme and bring down the things of God? You know, we can learn much from the Muslims. And I think the Muslims put us to shame. You know, whenever the Muslims hear people talking about their prophet Muhammad, what would they do? They make a halabula. Yeah, I think not some, quite some time ago, we, we probably read of people, you know, who make fun of Prophet Muhammad in the cartoon. And what happened? Oh, they go out wanting to, you know, even assassinate that person. Of course, we don't do that. 
But here's something that we can learn from the Muslims. They take the things of God seriously. But do we as Christians take the things of God seriously? When we even struggle to come to church, when we even struggle to read our Bibles, it's a sign that we're not taking our Christian life seriously and we're not taking God seriously. And then when we look at what's happening in our community, <coughs> events like the LGBTQ and more alphabets are being added towards this LGBTQ. When we look at the act of abortion, when we see the many other lawless practices that goes against what God designed, do our hearts burn with holy anger? Do we get angry about all these things? Or do we just close one eye and say, this is just part of the world. We have to be part of the world. We have to follow what the world does. You know, <clears throat> in this aspect, I do respect Lawrence Kong, the ex-senior pastor of FCBC. The reason why he's standing up against this evil ideology that's happening to the world is simply because he wants to make his view heard was because he was concerned for God's word as well as concerned for the next generation of Christians. He was concerned for the glory of God as well as for his fellow Christians. He knows that if we don't stand up against this, the next generation may not be able to do it. And so he's willing to do all of this because he has the concern and care for the people of God. My prayer is that we possess the same zeal as Jesus did in the Gospel of John. Where I read to you how Jesus came into the temple. What did he see? He saw many people, the, the, the money changers, you know, the, they were trading, they were, they, 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 were, they were doing things that was not right. Jesus didn't just close one eye. He was upset with holy anger. And he drove all these people out. My prayer is that we may have this zeal same zeal that Jesus has for the things of God. And lastly, as we close, do we receive news with sensitive heart? What does heartbreaking news do to you? How do you feel when we read reports in the newspaper of tragedies, when we hear of human sufferings every day? You know, today we are constantly flooded with a stream of bad news that hit us daily. News of war, natural disasters, violent injustice, poverty, riots, not to forget the rise of epidemic cases. When we hear of the death, rise and death of COVID cases in other countries, do we shed a tear? Or do we say it doesn't concern me? When we hear the war in Ukraine, the rioting in the globe, in Sri Lanka, do we pray for peace? Just a couple of days, we received the news that Japan ex-Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated. What is our response? Or is it that we feel numb and rub it off as nothing to do with me? As I've said before and I'll say it again, we can be so desensitized to such news that it merely becomes everyday news that we take it as a entertainment for our bored minds. So today as we 
close and as we start on our study in the book of Nehemiah, the challenge for us is this. What are we concerned? Are we concerned for one another? Are we concerned for the things of God? Or are we merely concerned for ourselves? Let us pray. Father, this evening as we hear your word, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be like Nehemiah, to have this concern and caring heart for those around us in the church. Help us to have this desire to really want to genuinely love one another, and not only for one another, but also for your things, the things that upset you. Father, give us this concern that truly we want to do the right thing. I pray, Father, that you give us the zeal that Jesus had, that holy anger to stand up against things that disappoint you. And let us not be afraid, but to truly be equipped ourselves to be the type of leaders that you want us to be. So, Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that has been spoken. May it challenge each and every one of us here that as we continue to move forward, you strengthen us and help us along. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.